Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, just want to say welcome to everybody. So good to have you here with us today, uh, joining us, uh, watching online or listening. Uh, you know, last week was pretty incredible. We had people from 70 different cities and 10 different states watching and participating uh, online last week. That was so incredible. I just want to give a shout out to those last week, and maybe some of you are back this week. We had people last week from Texas, and maybe you're here with us again today, from Nevada, Arizona, Alabama, Tennessee, Indiana, Massachusetts, Ohio, and New Hampshire. If any of you are back with us, man, put it on the chat. Let us know. We're thrilled to have you. We also want to give a special shout out to those who were watching last week and participating from Great Britain, from England. That's so awesome. And then also we had uh, some, someone from uh, uh, Mexico. So uh, Dan, if that's you, Dan, so glad you were with us. Hopefully you're, you're, you're here with us right now. And, and we just say welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you. We're in this series that we've entitled Stuck, and it's based on the idea that we are all stuck at home right now because of this virus. And even if you're not stuck at home because of the virus, you're probably stuck right now in some capacity because of the effects of the shutdown that it's had on you in some way, shape, or form. And so the question we're asking in this season and in this series is, how do you act? How do you react in your circumstances? or in your situations? What kind of attitude do we have in the midst of this season? Now, we have a great deal of help to know how to act and how to react from the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he too was stuck. He was stuck actually in a Roman prison awaiting possible execution, and yet he had an incredible perspective. You see, even though Paul was stuck in his circumstances, Paul was not stuck in his attitude. And we've discovered as we've looked together that Paul had what we all really want to have. He had a joy. He was happy. He was incredibly happy. In fact, as we look at the letter of Philippians that we're in today, Paul understood that happiness does not come from what we have, but it comes from who we know. When you have a relationship with God, you can be happy and be joyful. Let me say it again. When you have a relationship with God, you can be happy and you can be joyful. In fact, Christians should be the happiest people on planet earth. And yet, according to the UN, it turns out that the Finns are actually the happiest people on earth. Did you know that? For three years running, the people of Finland, according to this report, are the happiest people on planet earth. Now, here's what the report says. Here's what it says, why the Finns are the happiest people on earth. Number one is that the Finns are happy because they get out in nature. Uh, One Finn person said this. He said, nature is our secret. We Finns love to put on a pair of rubber boots, head to the woods to slow down and calm our minds. You know, that sounds good. And I I think we'd all do well to, to get out in nature. Well, second, the report says the second reason that Finns are the happiest people on earth is because they start every day with a cold shower or or a jump into an icy lake. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not down for that. No way. uh, I'll pass on that one. What about you? Are, Are you heading into an icy lake starting every day that way? Yeah, I didn't think so. 
Well, third, Finns are happy because they read a lot of books. And that's actually a great idea. Uh, Something we could all do more of and maybe spend a little less time on social media. But the fourth reason that the Finns are the happiest people on earth is because, you ready for this? That they regularly, regularly bake and eat cinnamon buns. Now listen, forget the cold shower, forget the plunge into the icy lake, but I am down with the Finns on the cinnamon buns. In fact, I start thinking about that right now, and as soon as services are over, man, I'm going to head home, and cinnamon buns are happening for us at the Delft's household today. How about you? You going to join me? Because according to this report, that'll make you one of the happiest people on planet Earth. But really, Christians should be the happiest people on earth. God wants you happy. Did you know that? And I know we like to use the word joy, joy, happiness, synonymous in the Bible. God actually, believe it or not, is a happy God. Jesus was happy most of the time, with, of course, the exception when he was bearing our sins on, uh, for us. But Jesus said something interesting. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said this, I told you this, To make you as completely, what does it say? As completely, say it out loud, no matter where you're listening right now, let's say it out loud together. Make you completely, what? Happy, as I am. Now, think about this. What did the angels, excuse me, what did the angels say to the shepherds when, when they came to announce that the Savior, the Messiah, that Jesus had come and was born? You remember what the angel said, if you remember any of the Christmas story? He said, we come to bring you good news of great sorrow. No, that's not what it said, did it? We came to bring you good news of great what? You're used to the word joy. Great joy or great happiness. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 says, be happy because your names are written in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean that we put on a fake smile and we plaster that to our face no matter what we're going through. We have times of sadness, certainly, even depression, certainly. Happiness doesn't mean that we don't face hardships or that we don't face setbacks or tragedies. In fact, this season is absolutely awful for a lot of people. And in fact, it's been awful for a lot of people in our church, and I'm so grateful for all of you who are are working hard to try to meet needs in our church for those who have had an awful season. It doesn't mean we don't even have loss or people don't even lose a loved one during this season. We would never diminish the tragedy of circumstances. But see, Paul does tell us something. He says even in the midst of our circumstances, even in the midst of tragedy, we can have the joy of the Lord. We can still have God's happiness. So what's the secret of Christian joy or or Christian happiness. The secret is found, you ready for this? In the way a believer thinks, not the way that we feel. If you want to be a happy person, if you want to be a joyful person, you need to think properly. Paul, see, he had filled his mind and his heart with Jesus. The way that you and I think actually affects the way that we feel. You might be familiar with that old uh, uh, King James version of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, which says, as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Here's another way for you and I to look at it. We will walk in the direction that we look. We will walk in the direction that we look. 
That's why it's hard to walk one way, but, but you know, looking back over your shoulder, that's hard to do. We will walk in the direction we look. I go in the direction I'm looking. You know, I told this story uh, uh, before, but a few years back, I, I went on a dirt bike riding uh, trip with a bunch of dudes from our church. And the evening before, I didn't know, I hadn't ridden a a dirt bike since I was seven years old, and that only happened one time, and I got in an accident. So I hadn't ridden one in, you know, 40-something years. And and so the night before, I jumped onto YouTube, and and, and I looked up, you know, how do you shift a motorcycle? Which, that should have been my first clue. I should have avoided the trip. Needless to say, uh, the trip didn't go well for me. In fact, one time, I I got a little bit out of control and kind of hit some bumps, and as I did that, I pulled back uh, to try to be in control, and as I pulled back, I I pull back on the throttle. Well, as I pulled out on the throttle then, and I'm a little bit out of control, I start zooming towards this tree, and I'm staring right at the tree, pulling back on the throttle, and my brain is saying, turn away, turn away, turn away, but I keep looking at the tree. You go in the direction that you look. Well, I hit that tree because that's what I was, I, I went in the direction of where I was looking. I hit that tree by a miracle. I'm sure a bunch of angels had to, God was like, hey, angels, hurry up. Come help this knucklehead. He doesn't know what he's doing. Watch YouTube the night before. And so, you know, they, you know somehow God miraculously protected me and got a little hurt, but, but, but survived that, uh, thankfully. I went in the direction I was looking. I hit the tree because I was looking at it. You will go in the direction that you are looking. So don't miss this. When you or I, if I'm looking to the Lord, if I'm looking at the Lord, I will head in his direction. When I'm looking at the Lord, when I'm thinking about the Lord, when I have an internal perspective, as we've talked about these last few weeks, if I have that, then I can be happy. Then I can have joy. So what are you looking towards? What are you looking at? What is your mind? What is your heart set towards? Or another way to ask it, what do you live for? What do you live for? I mean, what is it that wakes you up every single day? Now, there's some people, you know, what do they live for? They just kind of live to live. They have no objective in life. They just kind of live for the moment. Maybe it's the eat, drink, and be merry type thing. You know, Jesus talks about that. He tells the story of a rich man who had so much that he actually tore down what he had in order to build something bigger to store what he had so much of. I mean, can you imagine having that much, maybe being that wealthy? You know, the guy's thinking to himself, you know, my house, it just isn't big enough. Hey, honey, I was thinking, you know, our house isn't big enough. How about we tear it down and build another one? She's like, yeah, sure, no problem, sounds good. I mean, can you imagine something like that? And then it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you have stored up enough goods to last for years to come. Live it up, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Jesus said that was a terrible way to live our life. In fact, in the next verse, God actually called this man a fool. One celebrity said this, that he's been using his time right now while stuck at home, you ready for this, to smoke weed and make pottery. I mean, talk about a waste. But he can do that because weed shops are open even though churches are closed. Now tell me how that makes sense or or tell me how elective surgeries are not allowed 
but abortion on demand is still allowed. Things just don't make sense right now. Anyway, but, but back to it, this person was just living for the moment. And that's how some people live. Some people, they'll live for, you know, pleasure, or they'll live for power, or position, or, or popularity, or maybe prestige. And then there's others, you know, they live for possessions, Buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. You've maybe seen the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. Have you seen that? He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, I think the bumper sticker should actually say, he who dies with the most toys wins nothing. Right? Wins nothing. Solomon wrote this, he said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 and following, he said, and I'm going to skip through some of it, but he said, I, I, tried, to find me, I fi tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, I built reservoirs. I also owned large herds and flocks. Verse 8, I collected great sums of silver and gold. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. Now, kids, you can ask your parents what a concubine is after we're done watching this. Good luck, parents. Good luck on that one. He went on and said, I had everything a man could desire. In other words, I lived for whatever I could get. I had possessions. I mean, I had it all. And then Solomon said this in verse 11, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, but as I look at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. See, Solomon tried it, and he discovered it's not worth living for stuff, for possessions, for things. He said that that's a waste. What do you live for? What do you live for? Now, I want to look at what Paul says. We're in the letter of Philippians, and this is what Paul wrote to the Philippians while he was stuck in a Roman prison. And notice what he wrote. We're in chapter 1, and, and remember, as he's stuck in this prison, here's what he says. What do I live for, Paul says? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says this, and, and we're going to read a few verses. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress, and here's that word, and joy in the faith. You see, we can be happy. And we can have joy when we live for Christ. What did he say? Verse 21, he said this, For me to live is Christ. Now, think about this. If you said something like that at work around a bunch of non-Christians, and, and they're hey, what do you live for? And they're saying this and that. And you say, what do you live for? And you say, hey, I live for Christ. I mean, they're just going to roll their eyes, right? They're just going to think, man, you are so out of touch. Your head's in the clouds which only confirms the old saying, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But the reality is this, is when you or I are a heavenly minded person, it's actually a practical spirituality. 
It's actual practical Christianity. Not a heads-in-the-cloud person. It's someone who is caring and someone who is loving and someone who is others-centered. It's practical spirituality. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. See, if you study history, you will discover that it's the Christians who always led the way in helping others. It was Christians who led the way in every area of life, whether it was starting hospitals or, or, or opening food banks or shelters or, or providing education or food distribution or, or addiction and recovery centers. During this virus season, it's Christian groups like Samaritan Purse who, who set up hospitals in Italy and they go in and they try to care for people or set up a hospital there in, in New York City. It's World Vision and other Christian ministries who are on the front lines. Christians trying to help. Practical situation, uh, excuse me, practical spirituality is you when you think about the next world, but you do the most for this world. Is that your life? Especially right now. What are you doing in this life that you are helping others in our community? To live is for Christ, which means you and I are here to help and to serve others, to help others. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 21 again. He says to live is Christ. And then he goes on and says this, to die is gain. You see, Paul was homesick for heaven. He really was. He wanted to go back. And you might be thinking, wait, 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 wait a second, Pastor. Paul was never in heaven. Well, actually, he, wrote, he was. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4. See, in Acts chapter 14, Paul had been stoned to death. Now, that's not like that celebrity who got stoned and was, you know, doing pottery. Not that kind of stone. It was like stone with rocks being thrown at him until he died. And that happened to him because Paul was preaching the gospel. So the believers surrounded him, and they're praying for him to live. And if Acts chapter, uh, 12, excuse me, Acts chapter 14, and if 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if that's the same story, and they're praying for Paul to return to life, you got to wonder how that conversation went down in heaven. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment with me. Paul arrives in heaven, and he, you know, he, he wakes up, and he's there in heaven, and, and God's there, and he says, Welcome, Paul, welcome, my faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. And then the Lord says, Paul, i got to tell you, I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. And Paul's thinking, good news and bad news? Uh, well, what's the good news? Well, the good news, the Lord says, is the good news is you're coming back to heaven. And Paul's listening to this thinking, coming back, well, where am I going? Ah, that brings me to the bad news. See, there's a whole bunch of Christians down on earth right now, and they're praying for you, you know, to rise up there from the dead and come back to life. And Paul's like, God, 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 don't listen to them. They're a bunch of sinners, all right? Don't listen to them. Don't, don't listen to their prayers. Don't answer their prayers. Listen, I can guarantee you that no person who is in heaven would ever, if given the choice, would ever want to come back to earth. Ever. Never. They were praying for Paul and they wanted him to come back. And it wouldn't have surprised me if, if, if Paul opens his eyes again and then he's, he's there, he's back on earth and he's laying and bleeding. He's like, oh man, 
why am I back here? I can see him just reaching up and punching Silas or, or Timothy like, what are you doing, man? I was home free. So Paul writes, and he says, verse 23, he says, look, I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn between the two because, man, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with the Lord. I want to be with Christ. Verse 24, notice what he says, Philippians chapter 1, he says, verse 24, but it is more what? It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Verse 25, he says, so I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, to live for Christ, to live is for Christ. That means we're here to serve others, to help others. And that's how you and I can be happy. And when you and I live for Christ, you see what what we're really discovering from Paul is, he's basically saying, I'm not afraid to die. I don't fear death. Look at the verse again, Philippians 1 verse 23, Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is suicidal. He just understands how incredible it is, how amazing it is to actually be with Jesus. So then, what does it mean? When he said, I I desire to depart. Well, depart has a few different definitions. Depart refers to when a soldier would break camp, would take the tents and they would basically tear down the tents and leave their current location. You know, our family, the Delves family, we did a lot of tent camping the first 10 or 15 years of Heather and I's marriage because really that's kind of all we could afford when it came to vacation. You know, I know some of you, a bunch of you, you guys have motorhomes. I got to tell you, that's not camping. Come on, let's be real. I mean, you got these, you know, these giant TVs in your motorhomes, these satellites, you got recliners. I mean, you have showers in the motorhome, toilets in the motorhome. That's not camping, man. Camping is intense. T-E-N-T-S, not I-N-T-E-N. Camping is meant to be intense. You following with me? All right. The Bible on more than one occasion compares our body to a tent, meaning it's temporary, this body. It's not permanent. Now, sure, with this body, you can paint it. You can stretch it, tighten it, lift it, tuck it, implant it, fill it. Was it okay that I said all that? You can do all that, but it's temporary. It's not permanent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that when this tent that we live in, our body here on earth, is torn down, God will have a house in heaven for us to live in, a home he himself has made, which will last forever. Paul says, Philippians 1 verse 23, I want to depart. I want to break camp. I want to tear down this tent and be with Jesus. Depart also means to untie a boat from the dock and set sail. So when you believe in Jesus and that day comes for for you to go be with the Lord, to be with him, you are setting sail for the afterlife. You're departing. So here's the deal. When you live for Christ on earth, you can have joy. You can be happy. You aren't afraid to die because you know that when you depart, when you set sail, it's a better destination. When we live for Christ on earth, we will be with him in heaven 
in, when we die, and it's a better destination. Paul says this, Philippians 1, verse 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? What's the word? What does he say? Which is, let's say it together, type it in there, which is better by far. It's like getting on a cruise and setting sail for the Bahamas. That's a better destination, obviously pre, you know, pre-coronavirus. That's a better destination than what we have now. And, and, and when we go to something like that on a cruise and set sail to a better destination, there's no sadness in that. Man, that's exciting and that's thrilling knowing you're heading to a better destination. Heaven is better. Heaven's better. Why? Because we move from this temporary body that's called a tent, a broken body, a sinful body, to a new body that God gives us. No more brokenness, no more disease, no more sickness, no more pain. It's gone. Heaven's better because it's immediate. What does Paul say? He says, I desire to depart and what? Be with Christ. He didn't say, I desire to depart and go to a waiting room. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I just really do, man. I, I don't like waiting at all. I hate going to the doctor's office. Why? Because when I go there, I actually walk in and I go to a place that is actually called a what? Type it in right there. What, what is it called? It's called a waiting room. I would rather go to a walk right into the doctor's room. Room. That's what I want to go to. But no, I go to an actual waiting room. Jeez, I know I'm going to be stuck. Listen, when a believer dies, we don't go to a waiting room. We don't go to a waiting room. We don't go to a place called purgatory because there's no such thing as purgatory. It just doesn't exist when a believer dies, the moment that you take your last breath on earth, boom, you're there in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will what? Then, if we're away from this body, then we will be at home with the Lord. Heaven's better because it's immediate. Heaven's better because all my questions will be answered. I mean, we all have questions for God, don't we? We all have questions. You know, it makes me think about a, a story of a lady, an introvert actually, who in, decided, had this crazy idea, especially for an introvert, to invite all her friends over for a dinner party. And it was, and it was time to, 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 you know, to say grace, to say the prayer before the meal, and she turns to her little six-year-old daughter and says, uh, says, honey, hey, can you say the prayer tonight uh, for dinner? And the little girl says, Mommy, I, I don't know what to say. And the mom says, well, just say what you've heard me say. So the, the little six-year-old girl, she, you know, she folds her hands and, and she looks into her hands, actually closes her eyes, and she bows her head. And, and she's sitting there and she says, Lord, because again, she, the mom says, just pray what you've heard me say. Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? I mean, come on. That's funny, right? Type it in right there. Type it in. That was funny. You got to laugh at that one. Come on, loosen up. Laugh a little. The question that for God that that mom had, man, that got her into big trouble. But seriously, we all have questions for God. I got a lot of them. So I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, which says, Now, right now here on earth, living in these bodies, on this earth, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. 
But then, that means once we're in heaven, we will see everything with what? Perfect clarity. All that I know right now, Paul says, is partial. It's incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Heaven is better because one day it's all going to be revealed to us. All that we don't know and understand, God's going to share with us and we're going to come to understand how it all worked out. Of course, most important, heaven is better because that's where the Lord is. That's where our Savior is. The one who loves us, who gave himself for us. The one who we've given our lives to. Heaven's better because we'll be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We'll be with our Heavenly Father. So I want to loop back. What do you live for? What do you live for? When you live for Christ, no matter how brutal your circumstances, no matter what you're stuck in, you can have joy. You can be happy. You can rejoice. Why can you rejoice? Because first of all, you know that this life, it isn't even about you. In fact, Paul said, when I lived for Christ, it was about being there for others. Christ in me, working through me for the benefit of others. Living for Christ means that you know what matters. That you know, because when you're living for Christ, it just automatically you already know, hey, listen, I know Christ died for me. He saved me. He's given me a life that will last for eternity. And I'm not afraid to die because when I live for Christ on earth, I'll be with him in heaven when I die. So if Paul were writing this in the 21st century, I think he might say it something like this. I think Paul might, this is Chris's paraphrase. I think he'd say, I'm stuck in prison. My circumstances stink. Whatever. Whatever. I'm good. Because if I live, it's for Christ and it's to your benefit. If I die, sweet. I get to go be with Jesus and I get to go to a better place. So of course I have joy. Of course I can rejoice. Of course I'm happy. I'm happier than a fin who has to take a dive into an icy cold lake or a cold shower. Listen, you may be stuck at home, but you don't have to be stuck in your attitude. You may be stuck at home, but you don't have to be stuck in your happy, in your, in your attitude, excuse me. If you live for Christ, you can be happy. If you live for Christ, you can be joyful. Now, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and if you can't say with confidence that you know exactly where you will go when you die, see, Christians, we can say with confidence, we know when we die, we go to heaven, we go to be with Jesus. It's a better place. And if you don't have that assurance that you know where you will go when you die, if you don't know that without a, without a shadow of a doubt, did you know you can have that assurance? You can have that assurance right now. You can know like tens of millions, if not billions of Christians for the last 2,000 years who know with certainty that when we die, that we will be with the Lord. And it will be far better than anything here. You want that assurance? You can have it. How? Give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. 
So what does that mean to invite them into your life? It simply means this, is that you basically you transfer all your trust, you transfer your faith from yourself or living for whatever you live for, and you put all your trust and all your faith in Jesus for your life. You say, Jesus, I trust you to save me. Jesus, I trust you with my life. And if that's you, if you say, I'm ready, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to place my trust in him. I want the assurance of heaven. I want to know that when I die here that I immediately go into the presence of God. If you want that, I'm going to ask that you pray with me right now. It's not these exact words. As much as it is, you would mean it in your heart. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to invite everybody who's watching, who's listening right now, just bow your heads with me if you would and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving us Paul and giving us these words. To know as Christians, Lord, that to live, if we're going to live here, we're going to live our whole life for Jesus. But when we die, we get to go be with you, Lord. Why? Because we've given our life to you. We've surrendered to you. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what even comes next because we know. And we haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. It's we've just trusted Jesus for our life. We trust that he died so we can live. And if you're here watching this, listening to this, and you say, I want that assurance, I want to know that when I die, I go to heaven, then give your life to Jesus right now. Pray something like this with me, and you will be saved, and you will have the assurance of going to heaven. Would you pray something like this? Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth for living your life and then dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead, proving everything you said about who you are and what you came to accomplish. And so Jesus, right now, as best as I understand, as best as I know how, I transfer my faith from trusting in myself to trusting in you. Right now, I surrender my life to you, Jesus choosing no longer to live for myself, but to live for you. My life is yours, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. I pray this in your name. Lord Jesus, hear these prayers. I pray the angels in heaven rejoice for even one who prayed that for the first time, or for some of us, God, who recommitted our hearts to you and our lives to you. Thank you, God, that we can experience your joy, that we can experience a happiness we can be the most joyful, happy people on earth because we live for you, Jesus. This week, God, as we, as we walk away from listening to this, watching this, hearing this, God, every step we take, we want to live for you. We surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.